Thanks for listening to Rare Bird Radio. I'm Doug Cooper, author of the award-winning fiction Outside In and The Investment Club and the newly released Focus Lost. This podcast is sponsored by Rare Bird Books, based in Los Angeles, a publisher of 50-plus books per year, distributed worldwide by PGW. Today, I have the pleasure of being in conversation with Stephen J. Schwartz, author of Boulevard and Beat, and now Hollywood versus the Author. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, Doug. Thank you so much, man. That was an awesome intro, by the way. I don't think we've ever had an intro like that any of these podcasts so you're you're doing rare bird a wonderful service that's for sure well they do so much for us you know i try to get the word about them when people ask me about them i always say you know they publish books for the same reasons us writers write them and it's a great it's a great partnership um so i loved loved the title i love the setup of the book everything about it hollywood versus the author and I think you have to you have one of the coolest dedications. Um, and I'd just yeah. like to share it with with listeners here. It's for the authors who have published and for the authors who have yet to publish, for the authors who have sold their screen rights, and for the authors who have yet to sell their screen rights. Hold your heads high, for you are the storytellers. Stand strong and prepare for battle. So give us a little background on, on that dedication, because that's so cool, and I think it just resonates so yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that really just kind of spoke to me, and I had no question as how I would write that dedication, because that is, uh, that is the experience as, as a storyteller, as an author. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a fight. Um, when, you, when you write a novel, you're not fighting. You, write, you sit at home, you write your novel, you take as long as it takes to do it. You get your beta, you know, readers to give you feedback. Uh, you give it to your agent. If you have an agent, uh, if you get it sold, that's great. You start working with an editor and, and at some point, you know, it, it's done. And it's a, it's a, a nice, quiet, um, uh, positive, uh, adventure that you take, um, to get your, your vision, um, out into the world. Uh, but when you have written this novel and you say, hey, this would be a great TV series, I can see this as a Dexter or Game of Thrones, and you start imagining this whole life that you're going to lead someday, and you get a producer that's excited about it, you know, and your agent gets it to a producer, and the producer options, and you start going down this road of what's going to happen to my novel, it's going to become a TV series. The vast majority, just about everybody, has a, has a terrible experience from that point forward. Um, a handful of people... You know, their first novel, their first experience getting their, their book sold and, and into the, the film world, it, it just goes perfectly well. And there's a couple people in this collection, like Jonathan Kellerman had a pretty uh, easy go of it. Yeah. Um, Jeff Parker, T. Jefferson Parker, just like magic, you know, just like everything happened perfectly. But just about everybody else in this publication, it, it really represents what happens at every level. Um, no matter how big a writer you are, how small a writer you are, you know, it's um, you, uh, you 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 go through this battle of development executives getting involved and producers getting involved, uh, actors, even directors, and they start telling you how to change your your vision until it's unrecognizable, until you don't have a vision anymore. Um, so that I wanted to capture that experience. I wanted to get I wanted to talk to people who have sold their books to Hollywood and and really kind of run with it and see where where did it take them and and was it a good experience or a bad experience? What have they learned? And ultimately, did they see their works made into TV series or, or films? Yeah, and that that was one of the, the many things that I found so cool about it is it wasn't like 
seven steps to do this or 11 steps or 13 steps. It was, it was just real anecdotes and you went out to people who have lived it and you know, you're not spoon feeding people here, but you're sharing so much wisdom uh, in the book. And, you know, you mentioned the directors of development and, and you know, a little bit about uh, a little bit about that role, right? I mean, you weren't just, you weren't yeah. just doing research here. You, you live this. So uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about that, that background. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I was the director of development for uh, film director, Wolfgang Peterson. Um, and he directed films like Das Boat, which is one of my top 10 favorite films mm-hmm. of all time. Um, three and a half hour film uh, in German and just an amazing classic. Uh, he also directed In the Line of Fire, uh, Outbreak, um, Air Force One, uh, The NeverEnding Story, um, The Perfect Storm, uh, Troy, big, big Hollywood director. So for about five years, I was on his team, starting off as an assistant and the story editor, and then I was the director of development. And, you know, part of my role was to, you know, to, to find screenplays that we could, that we could purchase, we could take to our studio and purchase and develop those story ideas until they're ready to go into production with him directing or us producing. Um, uh, and also part of that was look for, for novels, uh, nonfiction, fiction, um, for, uh, short stories, uh, for newspaper articles, whatever, and develop that into a feature film. So, um, yeah, and, and part of the project, one of the one of the projects that I was on uh, as a as a development exec was Bicentennial Man, which uh, Robin Williams had starred in, and, and that that was a short story by Isaac Asimov, and uh, they brought Nick Kazan, uh, who's an amazing Academy Award winning screenwriter, on to adapt that short story, and and he wrote about fifteen or seventeen drafts, you know, of that before it finally made it. Wow. Um But again, that wasn't his work. Um, that was. Uh, you know, that was, uh, he was hired to do that from an Asimov short story and Asimov wasn't alive then. So if you're, you know, if you have a novel, you know, I know what it, what it means and what it takes to take that novel, which is, you know, a 450 page novel and turn it into a 110 page screenplay. It, it's, it's, it's a hell of a process. Um, it doesn't magically just, you know, translate from book to film. It takes a, a real process of, of understanding, um, how you you capture the essence of that novel and then translate it into a completely different medium. And it's as an author, it's a medium that you don't control. Even as a screenwriter, you don't control it. it it's ultimately controlled by the director. It's the director's vision. So the director will take the element of that novel and translate it through a screenwriter, and ultimately it becomes that that director's film. And and you and it. You know, as an, as an author, you might understand that and say, wow, that was a great adaptation of my work. Or you might say, oh, my God, they completely ruined my, my, my mm-hmm. story and I'll never go to Hollywood again. And, and, and there's both experiences. You know, people have. Both yeah. And I kind of had the reverse um, experience in that, you know, I, I lived in uh, I was living in Norway from like 2012 uh, or 2007 to 2012 I was over there and and you know, kind of having the expatriate experience. And I decided that I, I wanted to visualize my writing a bit more. So I had, you know, I had my first novel outside in done and I was like, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a screenplay. So I took the novel, wrote it as a screenplay. And then I had the idea for my, my current novel, um, Focus Lost. And I wrote it first as a screenplay because I wanted 
you know, like I said, to make it more visual. And I, and it's, it's kind of a, a you know, uh, loosely based on the, the Garden of Eden story, you know, Paradise Lost. And I thought, oh, yeah. you know, having this idea of a camera and a director could kind of double as like the eye of God and have a good symbolism. So mm-hmm. I wrote it first as, as a screenplay and I had the, you know, the, the 120, you know, pages that you say. And then, when it was done and then when I went to write it as a novel, I had the reverse that I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I got the, the main arcs in here, but it's not, there's not enough for, for a novel. So I, I went the other way and build out more of that, more of that content. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Um, and your, and your first book inside out was, was awesome by the way. And I remember reading and, 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 you know, blurbing it as well. And it's, um, that's a great first novel to have in your pocket. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting that you, that you wrote the screenplay first for, uh, Focus Lost before, you know, expanding it as a novel. And, and, and now I'm, oddly enough, I'm, I'm really kind of doing the opposite. I've got, um, Boulevard, I've been waiting for years for like a showrunner to come around and, and, and write a TV pilot for, for Boulevard. Uh, mm-hmm. and ultimately recently I just kind of said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to be, I'm going to do it myself. And so. I recently adapted Boulevard as a uh, you know 61 page TV pilot, um, and then you know, wrote it and rewrote until it was ready. Uh, and my manager was happy. And now he's going out with it um, this week, as a matter of fact. And so it's it it's interesting because you know that's one episode, that's a pilot for an entire yeah. novel. So it really represents just a fraction. And in in and that adaptation process, it's really interesting because how how do you represent in a pilot you know, all the elements that could sustain a one or two or three season series. It, it's a whole different mindset. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to write a feature script version of it over the next few months, uh, just so I have that in my pocket. And then I'll be done with it. And then I'll say, okay, I'll hopefully I'll have an opportunity with television. Um, if not, I will have it as a feature film, and I can, at the very least, I can try to get that off the ground on my own, because uh, I've done independent production before, too, so, you know, just try to get this thing done and and then I could just go back to writing novels again because novels writing novels are the most satisfying experience if you're a writer you found that to be true yeah I mean I always tell people the the writing and 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 the creation of the novel that's the that's the easy part the the hardest is you know the selling and you know the the marketing and and doing all th- those things because I think the development and I always try to think of myself as more of a content creator and and that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, Hollywood versus the author was you know the focus on being a storyteller you know and these are just different yeah. mediums that that we have to to tell the stories and and a good story can be told in you know, in, in different ways and, and it, and it can change. And, and like you said, and when we were talking that, you know, that some of the stories are, are positive, some, some are negative. And, um, I think, you know, w- when you were talking about, you know, writing yours as a pilot with the 61, 61 pages, and I, I don't know if it was Jonathan Kellerman or one, some, one of the writers in the, in the book talked about even how you have to learn to write for the commercial breaks, um, and, and yeah. that struck me as odd cause I, I had never, I had never thought about that, but is that really, uh, you know, uh, now too, I guess 
would you write it differently if you're expecting it to be, you know, streamed uninterrupted or if it was a network show? So, yeah, now it's kind of turned around. I mean, in the past, when you wrote for television, you'd really have to be cognizant of the of the five act breaks or the seven act breaks. And you'd be writing for those commercials. Um, now, with the streaming services and there's no interruption, you're basically kind of back to writing, you know, just a one-hour show or or a, or a two-hour you know movie, um, so uh, but you still have to be kind of cognizant of the act breaks and the teaser. I mean, things have changed a little bit. You, if you're doing Breaking Bad, uh, an episode of Breaking Bad, you're going to have a teaser. You have that opening that, that hooks you. That everyone loves those Breaking Bad openings, you know. And and then and then you've got to have a sense and the feel of those act breaks whether you, you know, you don't really write them as act breaks. You, you have the sense of, you know, every however, you know, 20 pages or so, 15, 20 pages, you've got a sense of some kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, calamity, you know, happening that kind of resolves a bit as you uh, come to the act, next act or, or maybe not resolve. It actually escalates um, to the point where it comes to a climax, you know, at the end of the, the, the episode, kind of leaving you wanting to, to see the next episode. It is formulaic in a way but you can you can do it so that it feels organic um you know it, it takes some time it, it takes uh you got to be able to visualize that i guess watch a lot of television see how the, the really good guys do it yeah and that that was I mean, one thing them. you know you, you mentioned you mentioned breaking bad you know and that was one of the uh as i said i was living in norway so you know uh, I, I didn't have you know uh network tv or whatever and at the time you know the the itunes and i was i was streaming and that's when breaking bad um came on and 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 we really started getting into what i like to call this golden age of of television where the storytelling and and these dramatic series you, you know have really changed um you know, really changed the landscape in how, you know, character driven and, you know, just having these interesting characters in these situations and then, you know, unfolding. And one of the things great about Breaking Bad is, you know, they knew, hey, we're going in with five seasons and he had a, he had a good arc. He knew where he wanted to start and, and, and it just kind of evolved. And I think in one of the, uh, it, it might have been the the first chapter when you were uh, talking, or when um, Michael Connolly was talking about Bosch, and you know he had said, you know, then something changed. Uh, television changed. It started getting really good, and he was talking about yeah. his experience of getting uh, Bosch made. Which, by the way, I think it's a nice tie-in. It, uh, the new fifth season releases, I think, tomorrow on on amazon and you know he he's talking about how this scene was you know this there was no dialogue and it was the the one the one partner character he's taken up for sale sign off the yard and then he tells the story behind it and the journey that he had been on to get um bosch made into a series that he had sold the rights early on back in the 90s and he got that and he got the money and he was great but he didn't realize you know what was in the fine print and the attachment you know that that um that came with that uh and i just i i found it fast because i i had never thought and how he ultimately had to buy those back and spent millions of dollars so that scene that he talked about was the turning point of when he finally made his money back and and 
this was yeah. like in 2013 or 14. But, you know, uh, yeah. you, you know, talk a little bit about that, because I was just fascinated by that. Yeah, that. That's what I think these stories told as anecdotes are so much more educational than if I were to put out a book on the steps you need to do to get your book made into a movie. Those, those, there are no steps. I mean, everyone's journey is different, and yet you know, frighteningly similar in, 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 in many ways. But you can't follow someone else's path. You can only try uh, and, and end up following what ends up being your own path. Um, but it's, you know, something that authors may not know is that when they, when they, they got to look at the fine print, they got to have a really good agent um, to, to look at their contracts if they're going to sell their rights. Um, but what happens to everyone is you sell the right to your novel and then, um, so, Connolly sold the rights to the Bosch series when he'd only written a few books, and so he kind of needed the money, and the, the money that he got was, was great for him. And, you know, it wasn't huge money, but it was enough that uh, he could quit his job as a, as a reporter for the LA Times, and, uh, and he can write full-time. And so over the years, uh, Paramount would hire producers, and they'd hire writers, and sometimes Michael Connolly would, would take a crack at writing too. But ultimately, you know, they'd go through writers, they'd go through producers, and they never got anything made you know they never made a, a tv series or a movie out of it and years go on years go on and they're spending money on this development process and then you know as Connolly gets a little bit older and more well respected and he becomes you know uh, famous for his novels he, he thinks well you know what now there's these streaming services now there's netflix and amazon and and um you know uh, everything that you can HBO. You know you can you can do something different. You can do something really really creative and a little bit darker and a little bit more realistic. You don't just have to go with CBS or um, or ABC anymore. And he thought, you know, maybe I can get these rights back. And he looked at his contract and he sees that after a 15 year period, he can get the rights back if, if the uh, Paramount hasn't made anything out of it. So he talked to his you know agent and they said, hey, let's check it out. And they went to the studio and they said, yeah, you can do that. Um, but you have to pay for all the development costs that we've spent over the, the, the last 15 years to get the rights back. And that's called turnaround. So this is a common thing that happens. You, if you want to take a project away from a studio and own the rights back, you have to, it goes into turnaround and you have to pay for those rights. And so it was in the, in the many millions. I don't know what it was. I imagine it was probably around $6 million or something like that because uh, in, in, in Michael's story, he just talks about being shocked by how much it was and then negotiating it down to $3 million. So that's after he negotiated it, he had to spend $3 million. And he didn't really have that. You know, he had, to, he, had to, he had to take a loan out against his house. He had to get some investors. He had to use his savings. And he had to bet on himself and bet on his character, Bosch. And so the, the story, you know, the essay that he wrote is called Betting on Bosch. And, and he took a chance. And he rolled the dice, and he got the rights back. And... He interviewed producers, and they found the right producer, and they went to Amazon, and they started making this. And, uh, and it wasn't until that first shot of that fifth season that he managed to recoup that $3 million. And that's only because it's a successful series. Can you imagine if he had done all of this, and, and you know, he got like seven episodes in, and it was canceled? You know, it, he, it would yeah. have been a loss, right? betting on himself you know and that's that was his exact his exact phrase i think he talked to somebody about it and you know that's that was kind of their advice you know hey you know bet on yourself and and he did it but it could have easily could have easily gone uh could have easily gone the other way and and like i said i mean that's over 15 
15 years and now you know so now we're probably up to 20 years from when he really signed that original deal and i, I can't remember it's season four and maybe season five that's releasing tomorrow but i mean it's it's such a good story and 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 the book's full of of these stories another one that really uh i i really liked was the seductress the alan jacobson yeah um yeah. because yeah. you know i like this idea of seductress and the temptress and and you know that kind of reminded yeah. me which is a big influence on my writing you know the the joseph campbell um you know and that power yeah. of myth and you know and 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 the one line i think uh in in the opening of that was like promising the world and often delivering dot 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 false hope and failed dreams which you know i yeah. think a lot of people go you know start this and you know, you, you accept that first deal for, like you said, you know, you need the money, you want to write full time and this and, and, you know, you can end up with, uh, you know, you, you, you can end up with your pockets turned inside out too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I, I tell you, I love the Alan Jacobson, um, piece as well. I, I, I was going to start with his because I thought it was so valuable. Um, it was so, it's, it, he speaks really to the alluring na- nature of, of this business of Hollywood and thinking, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to live this life. I'm going to have a series out of my books. And, 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 and we all, you know, we, we, we live by that. I mean, there's this saying that you're, you know, you're an overnight success, 20 years in the making. Um, <laughs> it can be 30 years in the making, you know, it's just, uh, and so, but then yeah, I was fortunate enough to get Michael uh, to, to, to put an essay in. And then I thought, wow, I got to start with Michael. Uh, Connolly, but um, but Allen's is fantastic. Um, Lee Goldberg um, gives you a yeah. whole different perspective because he's both a TV writer and an author. Um, we've got guys who Max Allen Collins who uh, wrote tie-in books. Uh, Andrew Kaplan who um, who wrote the Homeland um, series novels, um, and, and he's a big novelist uh, in his own right, um, thriller uh, author. Um, uh, I mean, they're just every every single one of these essays. These authors have really gone through it, and, and I got a couple of guys there that aren't. I mean, most of the guys I know are mystery thriller guys. So I had a couple of people that that weren't, and and you know James Brown um, really takes you through the process of of being an author and and and, and getting these develop getting these producers that are interested in him. And they pay him a little bit of money, and he goes through three different times over a period of like a ten year period, and and you just see his experience and how it becomes more and more depressive until the very end. He just kind of realizes, you know what? I have to be at peace with myself and the kind of writer I am. And I can't be looking outward and, and defining myself by the success that I think I will be if I get a, you know, a movie made out of my book. You know, I have to be content and happy as what I do as an author. And if the film stuff happens, it happens, but you don't, it's hard to chase that. Yeah. Yeah. And you also, you left out, uh, you know, the, you also wrote uh, one of the, you know, one of one of the chapters and yeah. talking about your experience and and, um, you know, you talked about how you know when you started, you were climbing up kind of the food chain, and you know, you found this script, you know, and it was uh, you, you thought it was like a kind of a modern day French connection, and you read it and had some issues, but you thought it was really smart, and you, you know, you're like, hey, I think this is a kind of uh, film, you know, Wolfgang Peterson would would want to make, and as you're working with this and you're 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 presenting it to people, you're talking to people, you get so far down the path, and you realize that you think you're the only one that's read the whole thing, that everybody's just yeah. going on, you know, small blurbs or what the pitch is, which just it, it seems crazy that you know 
people, you know, they'll they'll invest millions or or go on, you know, down the path that and 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 people aren't into haven't even read it yet. Yeah. Well, that that's a really good lesson on um, how the film business works in, in that people are mostly interested in attachments and relationships and working with the people they want to work with. And it doesn't really matter really what the story is. So what happened in that, and it's just the, the best story ever is that, you know, a script went out into the marketplace. Like you said, it was like a French connection. It was very, very complicated to read though, very complicated. And I knew that it needed a lot of uh, development to become a movie, but it was the kind of thing that Wolfgang would, would like, I thought. Uh, and so you often you will buy a script, you'll take it to your studio just based on the concept and, you know, you can develop it further. So I pitched it to Wolfgang in one of our meetings and he said, said, uh, sounds good. Let's go for it. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? You know, go for it. And, I said, well, and so the producer said, well, that means you're going to take it to the studio and ask the studio to buy it. So we did that. And, um, and then pretty soon the industry found out that Wolfgang was attached to this spec script that came out. And suddenly everyone was, had to look at the script. All the agents were, you know, uh, I mean, all the producers and production companies were, were asking the agent for the script. And then pretty soon other producers were taking the script into their studios. And before long, you know, my producer came back to me and said, Steve, you know, um, no one understands the script. Either you're the smartest guy in this industry or the stupidest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, said, I, said, I never said that, said that this was ready. I just thought it was a good concept for us. And ultimately what happened was there was a new uh, head of the studio for Universal uh, Pictures, and he saw that Wolfgang was attached to this, and he thought, I need to get relationships with big directors and big actors, and so if I pick up this script for Wolfgang, I'll be in business with Wolfgang. So he made a preemptive uh, strike and, and, and put $500,000 for the script against $1.2 million, which means that the, the screenwriter gets 500000 bucks up front, and if the film goes into production, he gets the other $700,000. Um, so he took it off the table and suddenly everyone was excited because Wolfgang was doing this project, but no one, really no one had read the script. And so I felt like my, my neck was on the line. What further complicates this is that the new head of Universal Studios the next day discovers that DreamWorks, which was on his lot, Steven Spielberg's new company, their very first movie, which they were kind of guarding what the topic was, um, was the exact same story as the script that he just bought for Wolfgang to direct. Um, different, you know, stories, but it was the, it was basically the same thing, you know. Um, oh. And so suddenly we're we're in a battle against um, Steven Spielberg uh, on his first movie for DreamWorks, which was Peacemaker, and they won that battle because he's Steven Spielberg, and you know that that film got made and ours didn't. But anyway, that's that's the backdrop. About, you know, the author is going in with their with their novel, and they're saying, I really want my story to be told accurately and authentically. This is the backdrop against which they are selling their their story, their novel. Yeah, and that was you know that that whole story and how that unfolded. I mean, and, and I've and I've wondered about that because you'll see you know all of a sudden there's kind of similar stories and movies will be made and it's like well is isn't that similar? So I mean, if you were to rank you know at least in the development process, ultimately you know, the idea and the storytelling is what's going to re- resonate and, and, you know, the, it'll have to stand on its own. But in the development process, if you were to, to rank, you know, idea, attachments, and buzz as, as three things like in selling a, you know, uh, uh, a, a script, what, what, how would you rank those from like 
most important or what will get the most attention first to last? Uh, well, it, it actually happens more on a, um, uh, you really can't rank them because they, if you have a really great story, okay, and you've got no one that really makes a difference that's attached to it, then you might not ever get the funding, right? But if you yeah. have a really great story that attracts a really great director that everyone wants to work with, then suddenly you have a great story and you have an element. And the element is you know, a great actor, director, um, producer, mostly as a director and actor. <clears throat> um, so if you've got a great story and it attracts a great director or attracts a great actor, um, then you've got, you've got both. You've got everything covered. You've got those elements. And then that mm -hmm. creates buzz, right? Um, but if you're, let's say you're a hot director and you've got a, a passion project you want to you do, you go to any studio, basically, and they say, I want to work with you. Netflix wants to work with you now. They're in the next big studio. So they'll say, whatever the fuck you want, I will make this film. And then the director says, okay, I'm doing this. And at that point, if the director's vision, if he's developed a project that really isn't that good, then he doesn't really, isn't really aware of that, and the people around him won't tell him that it needs development work, then that's when you'll see a great director making a, a really kind of imperfect film. Um, but he was the he or she is the element that got it made, you know. And he and then he or she attracts an actor or actress that's that's known. And then and then these these big movies get made with a lot of actors and big director. Um, but the story might be really really underdeveloped, and by that I mean it could be a terrible story, you know. <clears throat> so it yeah. comes just many many different ways, you know. And if you trust, you know, if you see something by Steven Soderbergh or something, you, you can trust it. You say, you know what? I'm gonna, I, I believe that what he brings to the table is going to be really good. And, and then actors will want to work with a great director, and they'll trust that director, even if the script isn't really complete. You know, if, if they don't see it in the script, but they know that the director has a really great vision, then they'll trust that director, and, and it, it may or may not become a great film. It just happens yeah, so it's many almost brand. Ways. Yeah, it's almost brand recognition, right? I mean, one... When, yeah. you know, if a director, I mean, that's, that's their brand and they have, you know, they're known for certain. And when, they, when they're, when they become attached and that kind of moves it up to, you know, gets it a certain amount of, uh, recognition and puts, puts some legs yeah. to it. Um, yeah. so, you know, like I said, I, I think my first, you know, we're talking about my first book outside in and, 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 and focus laws, I definitely wrote them with the idea, oh, okay, this could be, you know, this could be a movie. My second one, the investment club you know, it was more about these five characters. And I was like, oh, this would be more of a, you know, that's when I was really into the, the, uh, the drama series. Like I said, I was just binge watching all the different, I mean, I, I've watched every, you know, drama series. I, I, I love, like I said, what writers are able to do now, you know, like I tell people, you, you have 120 minutes of screen time, or, you know, if you have a 10 or 12 episode season and then you have three to five season the hours and hours and so much more time you have to be able to tell uh tell stories you know so with with you were talking about boulevard before did you say you see that more as as a movie or you wrote it as a pilot right um i've always seen it as a movie because i came out of the mm -hmm. world of movies um and so i Mm -hmm. I really see it as, as a feature film and in the tradition of taxi driver or bad lieutenant or something. Um, but everyone, you know, 
after some time that it had been optioned, the option came back to me, and, and we're trying to get out. My manager, and then I had an agent, a CAA, a TV. Everyone was telling me, this has got to be TV, got to be TV. TV's where it's at, not movies. And so I said, okay, I get it. And, um, and we were trying to kind of attract the showrunner. And so ultimately, when I did write it, I wrote it as a TV pilot, and you know that was pretty recent. Um, but my heart really is in in feature films, and so you know mm-hmm. I'll I'll write that as a feature, in case uh, in case I want to go that direction. You know, I mean, when you write for a TV series, you're you're writing beyond the novel. I mean, you're really you're developing yeah. characters and situations and scenes that never existed in your novel, and and mm-hmm. so it's it's a different experience, uh, and not many. Yeah. TV series can can really sustain this this interest, you know, at least my interest. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Breaking Bad and The Wire, not many beyond that. Yeah, you know, into, into multiple seasons. I don't know how you. Yeah, you know. So how, how is um? Go ahead. How, how is did you, have either any of your books have have you gone through this process? Have you sold options? Have you talked to producers about them? I have, and I've had some, you know, some some interest, but you know, I've ne- I've never been able to get the attachment part. You know, I've had people interested in the concept, the story, you know, some some producers, but they've never been able to take it to that next step. You know, of of yeah. you know, getting a, a an actor, you know, or a director or or somebody attached. That again, you know, I think that would 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 lift it uh would lift it up but i again you know i think one of the the things that i I took away from from reading your book is you know just that what a journey it is you know i think my my first book is will be you know six years old uh you know this this summer you know and you know reading it and it's like you know this can be a uh you know 10 15 20 20 year process and it's just yeah. about, you know, grinding forward. And I think like you mentioned, you know, being true to yourself, you know, and just recognizing, hey, this 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 can happen. At some point you're gonna have to release it and and where mm-hmm. it goes from there is really gonna be out of your control. And uh, you know, us authors, we we've been known a time or two to be control freaks, which is which is mm-hmm. a bit a bit hard for us. You know, there are babies and you know, we, we don't yeah. want to see them become something they're not, but that's what you have to do, right? You got to be willing to just yeah. let it go and let it evolve and, um, and, and, and see, see what, because you're going to have very little control. I think like you talked, it's, it's really even a, even a script or a screenplay is really, you know, just a guideline for the, for kind of the director's yeah. vision that you can go off uh, you know, that, that, that's definitely not, uh, how things are going to go. Yeah. And, and if it, you might, you'll have more influence if you have a great relationship with the director, uh, you'll have more influence if the, if it's a lower budget. Um, I, I don't know many people that had, that had really like, you know, knock them out of the park kind of first experiences, um, I, except very recently, you know, I, I was on a podcast with uh, Tony Duchesne, um, Drinks with Tony, and his first novel, uh, which was, I think it's called I, I Was a Teenage uh, Jesus Jerk, um, mm. he sold that, he sold the rights to that and um, to a production company and they had a relationship with Eric Stoltz, and Eric Stoltz said, I want to make this as a movie, and then he turned to Tony and said, I want you to write the screenplay, and Tony had never written a screenplay, so... 
Tony got the opportunity to take his first book, write as a screenplay, learn how to write a screenplay under the you know, mentorship of Eric Stoltz, and then work every day on the set with Eric Stoltz on a low-budget, it was a low-budget film uh, that was a Netflix, I think it's a Netflix film, um, feature mm-hmm. film. And everything was fantastic. I mean, that does nothing, it never goes that well. Um, uh, you know, unless you're a huge author and you're, you know, you're like, uh, you know, Megan Abbott or Jillian um, Flynn who can command um, the, uh, the opportunity to write the screenplay because your books are, are doing so well. Um, but, you know, so, so Tony was able to do that. Now, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is that, you know, it went on Netflix and it doesn't, doesn't get a, a, a big, it doesn't get theatrical release and no one really knows it exists, you know, and so, so it doesn't, it doesn't. It didn't have a great impact um, on his life, but it, it's a huge moment for a, an author, now a screenwriter, now a produced screenwriter. You know, mm-hmm. um, right off of his first novel. It's just that never happens. But you know, because it did happen, it, it, it we that's the seductress that Alan Jacobs yeah. is talking about, right? It could happen to, to Tony. It could happen to me, right? Yeah, I heard a similar story about you know Nick. Uh, uh, I hope I don't mispronounce his name, but Pizzolatto, who uh, did True Detective, you know, and he had a, he had a really good n- novel, um, and he was called Galveston, and you know, good didn't get much attention, but then he had the True Detective idea, and wasn't getting much attention, and then he got Matthew McConaughey attached to it, and then you know yeah. HBO got interested, and 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 when he watched that that season one with him and Woody Harrelson, and and you look at you know he breaks a lot of rules. I mean, long monologues and different stuff, but yeah. because um, I mean, Matthew McConaughey just, um, you know, brought that character so much to life. And I always thought, man, they must've just had a, a, a great relationship because that could have gone so badly. Um, yeah. you know, if, if that yeah. hadn't, in that happened. So I think that synergy, you know, that you're, that you're talking about, uh, is, is so important. Um, so if people want to know more about, you know, Hollywood versus the author or, you know, Boulevard and beat where, where can they go to, to find out more about Stephen J. Schwartz and what, what's going on? Well, thank you for the plug, Doug. Um, yeah, that's, uh, my website is, uh, uh, Stephen J. Schwartz.com. So S T E P H E N J A Y S C H W A R T Z.com. And you can, See everything there. I mean, the Hollywood versus the author, as you mentioned, is through Rare Bird books. So you, know, you can get it through Rare Bird, and there'll be links to ways that you can buy it in indie stores or Amazon. Um, and Boulevard and Beat, um, you can get through Amazon and Kindle downloads and all that stuff. We also have a um, audio books for Boulevard Beat and for um, Hollywood versus the author. Uh, that what's fun about the Hollywood versus the author audiobook is that all of the authors, just, just about all of the authors, um, did their own readings of their essays. So you've got Lawrence oh, Block, cool. you know, reading his work. Yeah, you know, Lawrence, I forgot to mention Lawrence Block is in there. Tess Gerritsen reading her work and very, very powerful. Um, uh, you know, Lee Goldberg. And so you, you get all, the, you get their voice. You really get their energy from, a, a, you know, talking about their experience and, and doing it in the studio. Um, so that's that's how you find find me. Yeah. Great. So what what um, you know uh, we both kind of talked about the great thing about this book is it's not a you know uh, a spoon fed how how to but if you had to pick one you know kernel 
uh, of, of truth that you were going to give, you know, somebody like me that's got, you know, you've got three books out, hasn't made that crossover, but, you know, is interested. What would you, what would you say? Um, I would say put your head down and keep writing novels. Um, you can put your head down and keep writing screenplays too. Um, but the more novels you write, the more opportunities you have to be the owner of, uh, of the product, of the source material, it's called, that ultimately can become, um, you know, the film. So, um, and I would say also to write outside of a series uh, so that you write standalones, um, which you're doing, which is great because each time you write a standalone, that is its own separate and new uh, film right that you can sell. Whereas mm-hmm. if you sell, if you've written five books in a series, you're basically selling that series and the characters. Um, so my Hayden Glass series, I've written two novels, you know, I can't sell the book separately. I sell the series to a place and, and, and then it's, it's whatever happens, what happens. Um, so the more standalone books you write, the more opportunities you have, you know, for your agent to go out and try to find a producer and, and get a film deal going. Oh, that's cool. Cause actually that, that was a conscious thing for me that I, you know, each, each, each book outside in the investment club and focus lost are completely independent, um, stories. Yeah. And I always tell people this, Oh, why don't you write a series? You know, you could, can I said, Oh, th- these things can keep going. I said, I have other yeah. stories in mind, but you know, I'm, I'm creating, you know, and it's, it's good. Cause I, I, I didn't, I mean, I consciously did that, but I was, at some points I kind of waffle and say, Oh, was that a smart move to make this? Maybe I should have, you know, wrote the three book, uh, the three book story. But, uh, so that's, that's good that I, um, uh, I kind of, kind of gambled on that one. And it seems like I, I I did that well. So any, um, any final words you want to share with, uh, with listeners? Um, I would say, uh, you know, pick up Hollywood versus the author. It's, um, I promote it really because it's, it, it speaks truth. Uh, and, um, you know, when I uh, became an author and met thousands of other authors, everyone wanted to have a TV and film deal, and nobody really knew what that meant. So I wanted to bring this, you know, authors together so that they could share their experiences so the authors going into this will really know what to expect. You know, and, and I, if I hadn't pulled these guys together, I would be searching for interviews for people to try to get the same kind of um, uh, wisdom somehow. Yeah, very cool, and I I strongly recommend it too. I really, really enjoyed it, and um, you know, just want to say I'm I'm Doug Cooper here with Stephen J. Schwartz, um, author of Hollywood versus the Author, and I am the author of the award-winning fiction Outside In and the Investment Club, and the new book Focus Lost. This podcast is sponsored by Rare Bird Books, based in Los Angeles a publisher of 50-plus books per year, distributed worldwide by PGW. Really appreciate everybody joining us today, and make sure you go out and pick up a copy of Hollywood vs. the Author. Thanks for listening to Rare Bird Radio.